episode 19, Conscience, is the most sacred of all property. Welcome to the Principles and Practice podcast. This is where we discuss biblical principles for life and learning. I'm your host, Heather Hall, and this is my co-host, Brian Hall. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our Principles and Practice podcast. We are addressing one of the other seven basic founding principles of America, and this is in continuation for our Teaching 10 series that we are getting very close to wrapping up. That we'll begin by learning about the statement of the principle. So the statement of the principle for conscience, it comes from uh, Teaching and Learning, page 228. Uh, It is, For men being the workmanship of one omnipotent and infinitely wise maker, all the servants of one sovereign master, sent into the world by his order, and about his business, they are his property, whose workmanship made to last during his not one another's pleasure. Uh, by John Locke in 1689. Uh, We have a quote from James Madison um, about property, and it is, A man has a property of peculiar value in his religious opinions and in the professions and practice dictated by them. He has an equal property in the free use of his faculties and free choice of the objects on which to employ them. In a word, as a man is said to have a right to his property, he may be equally said to have property in his rights. Conscience is the most sacred of all property. When we're talking about property, we need to keep in mind that we have internal property as well as external property. Property, defined by Webster, Noah Webster, in the 1828 Dictionary of the English Language, is the thing owned, that to which a person has the legal title, whether in his possession or not. So when we're training our children in character, we want to teach them to guard their internal property. If you take a T-chart, which is one of our favorite tools in the principal approach, and you label the left column internal property and then the right column external property, you can go over this concept with your children. Under internal property, you'll write down opinions, communication, beliefs, abilities, talents, and conscience. Those are all internal properties that God gives to each of us that are unique to who we are as individuals. And then in the right-hand column, under external property, you'll list things that are like land, money, physical body, signature, merchandise, those kinds of things. And just converse with your children about how the world tends to focus mostly on external property, whereas God wants us to focus on our internal property and to steward that well. And as we do that, then externally, that will be expressed in our actions and what we do as far as stewardship goes and things like that. So man is the workmanship of an all-powerful and infinitely wise maker. All of us are the servants of one sovereign master uh, sent into the world by his order to be about his business, and we are his property made to last for his pleasure, not our own. Hence, as creator, everything belongs to God, and man is God's property. So when we're looking at... um, property in general, we have to ask the question, what is property? It's whatever we labor for becomes the property. So, you know, people, we want to teach our children, raise our children up to value what they've worked for, and that's going to be their internal property and their external property. 
And one of the important and very beautiful aspects about the principal approach for education, for life and learning, is that the um, the students, the individual, ends up going through the reasoning and the relating biblically on their own. Sometimes there's a little bit of wrestling with that, but that's a good thing because then we're working for it. We're working on having that biblical understanding understanding and reasoning that we need to equip us for life. And it ends up becoming internalized, which ends up becoming the individual's own belief. So it's not just sitting down and reading through, you know, teaching and learning America's Christian history or the Christian history of the Constitution volumes one and two or any of the other materials and source documents from our founding era. It's actually taking those ideas and concepts, doing the word studies, looking at God's providence, and then identifying those principles from the Bible to help us reason and relate about the rights for mankind that come from God. So conscience is a biblical concept. Did you know that the Old Testament addresses the concept of conscience frequently, though the word is rare in English translations. Heart is sometimes used as a synonym for conscience. Conscience occurs some 30 times in the New Testament. From the first century AD onward, believing Christians set the conscience as guardian of their souls. And that information is taken from, from the book conscience what is it how to train it and loving those who differ uh, to help illustrate this i have a uh, verse and it's uh, proverbs four twenty three, and it says keep your hearts with all vigilance for from it flows the springs of life now here's some uh, information matthew henry's commentary it's kind of long but it's all important i think and he says the way of evil men may seem pleasant and the nearest way to compass some end but it is an evil way and will end ill if thou love thy god and thy soul avoid it it is not said keep at a due distance but at a great distance never think you can get far enough from it the way of the righteous is light christ is their way and he is the light the saints will not be perfect till they reach heaven but there they shall shine as the sun in his strength. The way of sin is as darkness. The way of the wicked is dark, therefore dangerous. They fall into sin, but know not how to avoid it. They fall into trouble, but never seek to know wherefore God contends with them, nor what will be the end of it. This is the way we are bid to shun. Attentive hearing of the word of God is a good sign of a work of grace begun in the heart and a good means of carrying it on. Uh, there is in the word of God a proper remedy for all diseases of the soul. Keep thy heart with all diligence. We must set a strict guard upon our souls, keeping our hearts from doing hurt and getting hurt. A good reason is given because out of it are the issues of life. Above all, we should seek the Lord Jesus, that living water, the sanctifying spirit, issuing forth unto everlasting life. Thus we shall be enabled to put away a froward mouth and perverse lips. Our eyes will be turned from beholding vanity, looking straight forward and walking by the rule of God's word, uh, treading in the steps of our Lord and Master. Lord, forgive the past and enable us to follow thee more closely for the time to come. Thanks for sharing that, Brian. I really appreciate reading through Matthew Henry's commentary. You bet. I know 
he does have a lot to say, but it's all very rich and it gives a lot of perspective on the heart, you know, the internal aspects of the passages of scripture that we read. Mm -hmm. Something that springboards off of that, that you just shared, Brian, is Proverbs 10, 12, that says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And then Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible says, Here is one, the great mischief maker, and that is malice. Even where there is no manifest occasion of strife, yet hatred seeks occasion and so stirs it up and does the devil's work. Those are the most spiteful, ill-natured people that can be who take a pleasure in setting their neighbors together by the ears, by tail-bearing, evil surmises, and misrepresentations blowing up the sparks of contention which had lain buried into a flame at which, with an unaccountable pleasure, they warm their hands. 2. The great peacemaker, and that is love, which covers all sins, that is, the offenses among relations which occasion discord. Love, instead of proclaiming and aggravating the offense, conceals and extenuates it as far as it is capable of being concealed and extenuated. Love will excuse the offense which we give through mistake and unadvisedly. When we are able to say that there was no ill intended, but it was an oversight and we love our friend notwithstanding, this covers it. It will also overlook the offense that is given us and so cover it and make the best of it. By this means, strife is prevented or if begun, peace is recovered and restored quickly. The apostle quotes this, 1 Peter 4, 8, love will cover a multitude of sins. And I think that that is something that tends to be lacking within the body of Christ a great deal. I think that it's easy to let Satan pick at wounds from experiences that perhaps we've had with individuals in life. And that there's this this temptation to just assume, you know, what did Matthew Henry say to um, evil, evil surmises or tail-bearing or misrepresentations, just to assume the worst if somebody says something or it doesn't come out right and then just to become offended by that and then this is going on with all sorts of different topics today especially on social media especially on social media but also within just you know churches Mm -hmm. there's a lot of topics that are coming up that are very subtle and very deceptive in how they're actually causing division and not actually causing unity among brethren. And so I love that how Matthew Henry expanded on that to explain what the passages of scripture mean when, you know, it comes to covering offenses and loving each other and not being easily offended by something. Mm. Okay. So one of the exercises during the foundations course was to break out into groups and to use Webster's 1828 Dictionary to define the word conscience. And then we needed to read and discuss the definition and write some things that stood out to us from the definition and then find scriptures that spoke about the role of one's conscience. So here's the definition of conscience from Webster's 1828. It's a noun. It's from the Latin to know, to be privy to. Internal or self-knowledge or judgment of right and wrong 
or the faculty power or principle within us which decides on the lawfulness or unlawfulness of our own actions and affections and instantly approves or condemns them. Conscience is called by some writers the moral sense and considered as an original faculty of our nature. Others question the propriety of considering conscience as a distinct faculty or principle. They consider it rather as the general principle of moral approbation or disapprobation applied to one's own conduct and affections, alleging that our notions of right and wrong are not to be deduced from a single principle or faculty, but from various powers of the understanding and will. And then it can also mean the, es- the estimate or determination of conscience, justice, honesty, real sentiment, private thought, truth, consciousness, knowledge of our own actions or thought. In some instances, it can mean knowledge of the actions of others. So after reading through the definition, we needed to narrate, you know, put into our own words about the definition. And so something that I came up with is that my conscience is my internal property and no one can violate it without my consent. That's great. You know, I was just uh, reflecting on the fact that we're all born with a conscience, a knowledge of right and wrong. Um, in the definition where it says it instantly approves or condemns them and you know you make choices in life and you know what's right and wrong and you're going to hopefully make the right choices right and then it's important to also talk with our children and also bear in mind for ourselves that the more that we quiet our conscience the more that we ignore it I should say the quieter and quieter it gets over time. So there's a lot of emphasis throughout scripture about guarding our conscience and keeping it clean before the Lord and before man. Right, and and as we raise our children up, you know, to stop and have them listen to their conscience when something goes, they make a wrong choice, um, helps them to not let that conscience get quieted. Yeah, and another thing that we'll do is, and I had actually read about this somewhere. I'm sorry, I don't know who to credit it to, but there was a situation where um, a mother's son kept coming to her about something, and she just would ask him, is that the truth? And she would just listen to his response, and then he would answer her and then go about his business doing whatever. And they kept, you know... he having this conversation about some topic and she would just keep asking him, is that the truth? Because she was letting the Holy Spirit work in her son. And eventually her son ended up coming around with a softened heart and a confession that he had not been telling the truth about whatever the incident was. And then they were able to have that dialogue that was needed and then to go through, you know, the, supporting him with repentance, going through the process of repentance and asking for forgiveness. So that's something that we also apply in our parenting is asking them, is that the truth? And then letting the Holy Spirit do the work that he's going to do within the child. So I went ahead and did a word study on conscience and Romans 2.12 is a verse that um, came up that I found in the concordance. And so Romans 2.12 says, this is the ESV version, they show 
that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So going back to Matthew Henry's commentary on the Bible, he says, The Jews thought themselves a holy people, entitled to their privileges by right, while they were unthankful, rebellious, and unrighteous. But all who act thus, of every nation, age, and description, must be reminded that the judgment of God will be according to their real character. The case is so plain that we may appeal to the sinner's own thoughts. In every willful sin, there is contempt of the goodness of God. And though the branches of man's disobedience are very various, all spring from the same root. But in true repentance, there must be hatred of former sinfulness from a change wrought in the state of the mind, which disposes it to choose the good and to refuse the evil. It shows also a sense of inward wretchedness, such as the great change wrought in repentance. It is conversion. It is needed by every human being. The ruin of sinners is their walking after a hard and impenitent heart. Their sinful doings are expressed by the strong words, treasuring up wrath. In the description of the just man, notice the full demand of the law. It demands that the motives shall be pure and rejects all actions from earthly ambition or ends. In the description of the unrighteous, contention is held forth as the principle of all evil. The human will is in a state of enmity against God. Even Gentiles who had not the written law had that within which directed them what to do by the light of nature. Conscience is a witness, and first or last will bear witness. As they keep or broke these natural laws and dictates, their consciences either acquitted or condemned them. Nothing speaks more terror to sinners and more comfort to saints than that Christ shall be the judge. Secret services shall be rewarded, secret sins shall be then punished and brought to light. So what is the important role of conscience in society? And so if you look at conscience as a sacred possession, like the founding generations did, the conscience was a distinct possession. God himself gave it to the individual. It was vital not to lose it or violate it. And it was a valuable property and it was a sacred property. And when you look at uh, Webster's 1828, the word sacred is defined as uh, that which is holy, separated uh, from that which is common, vulgar, or polluted. It's inviolable, as if appropriated to a superior being. All right, so you'll remember from previous podcasts that we teach our children to ask who or what is in control. Well, another way of asking that is who is in charge. So here's another T-chart opportunity to sit down with your children, and you can label the left side conclusions and the right side biblical documentation. So the first one that you could list down is God owns the natural world by right of creation. And then on the right side, you can document the addresses in the Bible for that principle. And it's found in Exodus 19.5, Leviticus 25.23, First Chronicles 29.11, and Psalm 24.1. Then going back over to the left column under conclusions, we can conclude from the study that God owns men's souls. 
The biblical reference for that is found in Ezekiel 18.4 and Isaiah 42.5. And then lastly on our list, God owns man. And that's found in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 3.23, 1 Corinthians 6.20, and Ephesians 2.10. Another aspect that's really important to cover with our children is how one's conscience requires cultivation and protection. So clearly, even for those of us who accept Christ as our Savior, our Lord and Master, we are not perfect. We are still going to have problems. We are still going to stumble at times. We're still going to sin, which is different than choosing to walk in sin. So anything that's good about us is only ever because of Christ working in and through us. So in order for our conscience to be good, to be blameless, clear, clean, and pure, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, We want our consciences to be cleared. We want them cleansed. We'd like them to be perfected, purified, washed, purged, and sprinkled clean instead of having our conscience be weak, wounded, defiled, emboldened to sin, evil or guilty or seared. So that goes right along with 1 Corinthians 8.12. Again, this is from the ESV version. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. And then our beloved Matthew Henry's commentary says, No, injuries done to Christians are injuries done to Christ, especially to babes in Christ, to weak Christians, and most of all, involving them in guilt. Wounding their consciences is wounding him. He has a particular care of the lambs of the flock. He gathers them in his arms and carries them in his bosom. That's from Isaiah 60, 11. Strong Christians should be very careful to avoid what will offend weak ones or lay a stumbling block in their way. Shall we be void of compassion for those to whom Christ has shown so much? Shall we sin against Christ who suffered for us? Shall we set ourselves to defeat his gracious designs and help to ruin those whom he died to save? He enforces all with his own example. Thanks for sharing that. So when we're talking with our children and when we're going through the sanctification process ourselves, we need to consider how one's conscience requires cultivation and protection. Anything good in any of us is only ever because of Christ working in and through us. So instead of having a weak and wounded conscience, defiled or emboldened to sin, evil or guilty or seared, we can choose to allow Christ and ask Christ to do the cleansing in us. He can clear our conscience, purify it, wash it, purge it, sprinkle it clean so that we can be blameless before our Heavenly Father with a clear, clean, and pure conscience. In conclusion, when we're thinking governmentally about conscience, we can think about how the most important property that God has given to every human being is his conscience. As long as we are good stewards over our conscience, we are free and have true liberty, no matter what the external conditions may be. Exercising one's conscience based upon the word of God keeps this most important property undefiled and uncontrolled by anyone except the Lord Jesus Christ. This is righteousness. 
Well, thanks for joining us in our uh, next episode of the uh, Teaching 10 series. We're going to talk about God's sovereignty in human history. See you next time. As always, if you're looking for additional resources or support, you can visit our website at principalacademy.com. Check out our shop and our blog. And you can also find us on Facebook at Christian Homeschooling with Bible Principles. Also on Instagram under Principal Academy. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. Well, this is Heather Hall. And this is Brian Hall. For Christ and his glory.